Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... Stand fast. Don't give up. And so we see right here that worry is a foe to stand against. But notice how he tells us to stand against it. Stand firm, stand fast in the Lord. He doesn't say stand alone. He doesn't say pick yourself up by your bootstraps. He doesn't say get it together. He says stand fast in the Lord. Don't stand alone. You're not going to make it. We all worry, don't we? That's probably why God tells us so often in the Bible not to worry. Today, Pastor Jim will teach us that worry may actually open the door to a deeper intimacy with God. With that in mind, here's Pastor Jim in the book of Philippians chapter 4 with his message entitled, Joyful Worry. A popular way to read books these days is an Amazon Kindle. And one of the popular features of this, in addition to you can carry so many books in one device, is highlighting. You can highlight sentences in your books to go back to them and refer to them. You may not know this, but Amazon can actually track what you're highlighting. You're thinking, that's not good. Big Brother is watching. And so they came out with what was the number one sentence that was highlighted in all the Amazon Kindle books. And this one sentence was highlighted twice as much as number two. And here it is. Because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with them. Because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with them. Any of you know what that's from? Book number two of The Hunger Games. Book number two of The Hunger Games. The novel, not a novel, the novel of the younger generation in which teens are trained for this competition that some people think is, including teenagers, somewhat crazy and irrelevant. Well, why is it so popular? Some people say that what's the point of training for things that have no point? I could understand why teenagers might feel that way. Many teenagers over the years feel that their lives have been so hyper-organized that what's the point? I mean, they're going here, they're going there, they're scheduling their play dates, they belong to this league, that league, that play, that thing. They don't even get to be a kid anymore. They're already on, in the rat race and they're eight years old. And now when they become teenagers, it seems to be worse. Some people who study these things think that many of our young people today are so full of worry and fear that all of their training and education is really not a guarantee that they're going to be a success in life. And the reality is that no matter how hard we prepare, we cannot control the future. There's certain things that we can do maybe to position ourselves for a better job or certain things that we can do for a particular outcome, but we can't control the future, particularly on the things that are most important to us in our relationships. And if we're not careful and we're trying to control the future too much, we could end up in a world of worry. 
constantly worried about the things of this life. Have you noticed that worry is absolutely relentless? I mean, it just doesn't give up, especially if you're a person prone to battle all the what-ifs uncertainties of life. They just seem to overrun your mind and occupy your mind, and they keep you up at night. Have you ever noticed that worry, it's just always there? And for those of us who are a bit older, it's getting worse and worse. And those of you who are younger, I understand how you don't know anything any different. I mean, 200 years ago, what would we have been worried about today? That we had enough food for the winter, right? But now we turn on the news and we're worried about what's happening on the other side of the world. And then the commercials come, right? And you could die any minute. You need life insurance. You're sick. Buy this medicine. You have to have one of these if you want to be happy. And so you're not only worried about what's happening on the other side of the world, you're worried about what's happening in your own life and in your own house. And true, there are many things to be concerned about. That's Christian language, right? We say we're concerned. Or we say we're burdened. We're worried. Let's just say it, right? There's a lot of things to be worried about, but it's very easy to be obsessed with worry. It's very easy to be worried about things that we can't control or even to be worried about the wrong things. And I've personally found that so much of our worry is not because of what we do or it's not because of what we do or we don't have, but it's because of what's inside of us. That we are in so many ways worry factories. I have found personally that when my faith is not practiced daily, some of you might want to say, well, wait a minute, you're Pastor Jim. Don't you practice your faith all the time? I'm fortunate to have a job that I, part of my job is to study the Bible, but sometimes I'm even in a hurry doing that. I'm like, come on, Lord, give me the message. Give me the message. I have things I got to do. But then when I run out running errands, doing things around the church, around the house, you know, it's very easy to forget my faith. And I've realized that when my faith is not practiced daily, it's easy for me to become like a flashlight with dying batteries. You know what that's like, right? You lose electricity in your house, and of course you can't find a flashlight. And everybody starts blaming everybody else, and then finally you find it, and you think, hallelujah, I find it. You hit the on switch, and it's this little dim thing (laughs) that comes out, right? And of course you want to start blaming everyone. Who used this last? Who put this back like this? But we can be a lot like that, and before we know it, we're a weak light walking in the darkness, actually thinking that just maybe I can control things, or just maybe I can see things that I really can't. And before long, when I realize I'm maybe not in the best place, I've noticed that anxiety and worry begins to replace faith. I am a walking unbelieving believer. I'm saying I believe, but I'm living and my light is shining like I don't believe at all. So what's a common reaction to that? Well, a lot of us go into bunker mode. I got to get in the foxhole. I got to protect myself. And so that's what a natural human reaction. Jesus said, store up your treasures where? In heaven. So what do we do when we start to worry? We store up our treasures where? On earth. We start to hold back. And yet we start to realize that some of the things that we're holding on to so tightly actually seem to be going out of our grip. We can't hold on them. And fear begins to grip my heart. 
And the apostle Paul knows this all too well. He's writing from jail to a church that he founded some 10 years ago in Philippi. They're up in northern Greece. He's in jail. What's he in jail for? Well, he was in jail for preaching the gospel. He was doing the right thing. But when you tell people Jesus is Lord, you're also telling them that Caesar is not Lord. And when you tell people Caesar's not Lord, he does this little thing called chopping your head off. And so perhaps the apostle Paul is going to have his head chopped off. What's happening with the Philippian church? Well, they've been a church for 10 years now and you start to get a little used to the Christian life. Maybe you're not as excited about it as you were before and things start to happen inside the church. You fight about this, you fight about that or maybe they're disagreeing with this and oh, well, if they're gonna talk to me like that, I'm not going to that church anymore. We all do that kind of stuff. We might not say it, but we all think it. They're also getting something from the culture outside. People are starting to say, listen, you need to stop telling these people about Jesus. Just you know, stay in your own little house, do your own little prayer thing, but stop going out and telling people about Jesus. So they're getting pressure from all different corners of life. It seems to them that nothing is going right and there's lots to worry about. And the apostle Paul comes along in verse six and he says, be anxious for nothing. You're like, you're kidding. Really? For nothing. And then he says, verse 11, I have learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. How is that possible? I've come to the conclusion that the reason is actually quite simple, but eludes most of us. It comes down to this, that we as Christians know that the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, has ascended into heaven and he has promised to return. We're confident that he has promised to return, and all the while, while we're confident that he has promised to return, we are enjoying the reality of his presence daily. Well, at least that's what we're supposed to be doing. Through the word of God and the person and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can know the presence of Jesus Christ every day in our lives. And I think that's the key to worry. And I think most of us who are Christians would say, oh, well, I know that. Yet we struggle with the daily reality of resting in Jesus Christ. We struggle in the daily reality of realizing that he's with us daily. Now, I'm not just talking about reading your Bible. I'm not just talking about praying. I'm talking about walking in the moment by moment presence of God so you know him and you know that he is with you. And so here in Philippians chapter four, we've already done seven messages so far. Now you're saying, why in the world did you do seven messages so far? I had outlined it for four or five But after the first couple, I was getting so many emails and people were talking to me about anxiety and worry and what a big part of it is in everyone's life. And so I thought, well, we need to spend a little more time talking about this. And so this morning, I want to pull together these seven messages so far into one message so we can just recap so much of we've studied. And if you're a guest with us here today, you can kind of get a feel for what we do here at our church. Now, we're calling the studies in the book of Philippians, we started chapter one, verse one, we're calling it a joyful series. And so because that word joy or rejoice has been used many times. And so the title of this morning's message is Joyful Worry. Joyful Worry. Now, most of us would agree that practically speaking, worry is pretty much a waste of time, right? Spend a lot of time worrying, makes you sick, makes you depressed, makes you sad, and it doesn't really help you move forward. But spiritually, I would contend to you today that your worry should not be wasted. 
John Piper wrote an excellent book called Don't Waste Your Life. I would commend it to you. And I'm going to contact him and say if I could write the sequel called Don't Waste Your Worry. <laughs> Don't waste your worry. You say, say, why is that? I think the Apostle Paul has learned that worry, anxiety, concern, difficult circumstances are actually an opportunity, dare I be so brazen as to say an invitation to a more intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That the things that make us worry are actually things that God wants to use in our lives to make us trust him or to help us to trust him more. And so just like the Philippian church, as we have troubles inside and outside of our lives, the apostle is going to skillfully show them, and I believe us by extension as well, how to posture ourselves to receive the grace of God. I'm not one of those preachers that thinks that everything should depend on you. But then at the same time, if we think that everything depends on God, a lot of us leave and going, well, God didn't do this. So rather than give you a bunch of formulas, I think what the apostle wants to do with us this morning is say, this is how you posture yourself. This is how you position yourself to receive that which God is, if you will, desperately trying to give all of his children. In chapter three, he ended the chapter and and he said that all people who are committed followers of Jesus Christ, that is anyone who has turned to God and put their trust in Jesus Christ, we'll talk more about that in a minute, is what the Bible calls a citizen of heaven. This place is not our home, Christian. We are pilgrims, we are people passing through. We are citizens of another city, another place, citizens of heaven. He says, chapter four, verse one, therefore, in light of everything that he told us in chapter three, he says this, therefore, and notice the love he has for this church, my beloved, verse one, and long for brethren, that's another way of referring to Christians, brethren, my joy and my crown, So stand firm, stand fast. Some of your versions say stand firm in the Lord, beloved. Stand fast, stand firm. What is he saying? Make up your mind not to give up. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how much you've been hurt or you think God has forgotten you, stand firm, stand fast, Don't give up. And so we see right here that worry is a foe to stand against. But notice how he tells us to stand against it. Stand firm, stand fast in the Lord. He doesn't say stand alone. He doesn't say pick yourself up by your bootstraps. He doesn't say get it together. He says stand fast in the Lord. Don't stand alone. You're not going to make it. You've got to stand in your faith in the Lord. But notice he also throws in the church lingo all around it. My beloved, my long-for brethren, my beloved again, he says, it's also a word for the church. Stand firm in your faith as an individual and stand firm in your faith as a church, as a group of people who are doing life together. If you will, determine in your mind that you are going to stay at the faith. No matter how much worry engulfs your life, make the decision now, today even if you haven't, that I am going to stay firm in the faith. Determine 
that you and I, we are going to stand close to Jesus in the midst of all our problems. Why? Because God is our father. Because God is our father. Because God is bigger than our problems. Because God is bigger than our worry. And not only is he our father, but we are citizens of heaven. So the worry of this world is something that is just passing by our lives. The Bible doesn't minimize it, but it tells us to put it in proper context. And notice the loving affection that the apostle uses. He does not like, hey, you're going to heaven, get it together. No, he uses loving words here because he knows that for a Christian, this world is going to be a dogfight. That this world is going to be a series of ups and downs. And we can't fight it alone. We all need the word of God. We all need the Holy Spirit of God. But we need one another. We need to fight this battle together. We need friends who love us enough to pick up the phone, to send a text and say, brother, sister, you're not standing firm right now. Come back. Let's stand together. I will stand alongside of you in this until the Lord comes back or the Lord changes it. And even if he doesn't, I will stand with you. Well, let's look at verse two. He says, I implore Iodia and I employ Syntyche, these are two women in the church, to be of the same mind in the Lord. So why does he tell them to be in the same mind of the Lord? Because they're not. Now, we don't know what's going on. It's some sort of an internal church problem. We said before, if it was a doctrinal problem, he would have just fixed it. But this, you know, they're probably arguing about what color to paint the sanctuary or what the color of the carpet should be. Or, you know, you ask 100 Christians an opinion, you get 300 opinions, right? So that's, that's just the way it goes. There's some sort of difficulty. And what is he saying? Listen, the message of the gospel is bigger than anyone's opinion. So let's not debate these things. Let's be about the message of the gospel. So these are problems with people. Any of you have problems with people? Few of you, I think, are looking at your face. You're like laughing at me like, yes, I got a problem with you, Jim. Talk faster. I understand that. (laughs) He says, verse three, I urge you also, true companion, help these women. Now, when there's problems with people, what's our tendency? I'm out of here. No way. Nope. He says, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. At one point in time, they were fighting for the gospel together. Now what happens, you get a little comfortable, you start fighting with each other. They were fighting together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. What is that? Those are the people that are going to heaven. So what is he saying here? He's saying, listen, there's problems in life. There's problems with people. Here's one of the big keys. Don't get absorbed with yourself. You have a lot of worry. Things are not going well with your life. What do you need to do? Don't go into bunker mentality. Don't get absorbed with yourself. Did you know that when you get absorbed with yourself, that is the fertile soil of worry. If you like your worry and you want it to really grow big, right? Then just think about yourself all the time, right? And you will have a jungle of worry, right? And here he's saying, no, no, this is how we get out of it. And I think he sort of gives us a little bit of a formula here. I'm not much into the formulas, but I think you might appreciate this formula. It goes like this. Number one, love people. Number two, expect problems when you love people. Number three, love people. (laughs) You're like, I don't like that formula, right? But that's kind of what it is. That love people, right? Jesus loves people, right? Does he expect problems with the people he loves? Absolutely. Does he get them? Oh, yes, right? 
okay? But then he continues to love people. In other words, the Apostle Paul teaching us that when problems come, don't put your personal interests first, don't stop living out your faith, or you could end up a casualty of the faith if you're not careful. Well, you say, how in the world do I stay at it with myself and with my faith and with people in the midst of such worry that I have in my life? I'm so glad you asked. Verse four. Verse four, I said, I believe was the hardest verse in the book of Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. You're kidding. (laughs) I just picture them reading this to the congregation in Philippi. And when he goes, rejoice in the Lord always. And having somebody go to their husband and wife, what did he just say? (laughs) And the apostle goes, again, I will say rejoice. (laughs) In case you missed it, rejoice. Now, Again, let's notice the same thing as standing. We are to stand what? Stand fast in the Lord. Here he says, rejoice in the Lord. What do we rejoice in the Lord? We rejoice in the Lord and who he is. He is the sovereign creator. He has a plan. He knows what he's doing. So even when maybe things are not going great for us, we can still rejoice in him. This is an appeal to faith. He's saying, Remember the Lord. Remember that the creator is your father. And remember that he's in control. Remember Romans 8, 28, most Christians know it. Remember we said that's one of those verses that sounds great coming out of your mouth, doesn't sound so good going into your ears, that God is working together all things together for good, right? For those who love him are calling according to his purposes. People tell you that, you're like, shut up, Right? but reminding us that God is working all things together for good, but I like to think of it this way, that God is working for you. That God is at work in your life. And this is a deep faith he's calling us to. And that's what we are here at Calvary Chapel. That is our goal. My goal is not to have a billion people that are an inch deep. Our goal is to have as many people as God would bring us, but have everybody a mile deep in their faith a faith that goes beyond circumstances into the depth of God's love and God's sovereignty and that the fact that God is gonna pull it all together in the end, even though it looks terrible right now for some of us. Verse five, he says, let your gentleness, remember these are people who are anxious, let your gentleness, that word is sometimes translated big heartedness. The idea is be loving when you're treated poorly. Does that sound like anybody we know? maybe Jesus on the cross, let your gentleness be known to all men, the Lord is at hand. Now, scholars want to debate, does that mean that he's near to us or does that mean he's coming soon, the second coming? When I hit those debates, I just go, yes. Why does it have to be either or? And so here he's saying the Lord is near. The Lord is present. You and I are not alone in this thing. And because of that, we can aggressively love even when we're treated poorly, even when people don't even respond to the way that we have loved them. And then verse six, he lowers the boom on worrying. Be anxious for nothing. And I don't know about you, but I want a little wiggle room in that verse. (laughs) I'm like, nothing? A little bit? No, nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, this is where it gets really absurd, with thanksgiving, 
<laughs> so I'm thankful that I'm anxious. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, we talked about this when we were in this verse. We said this. Remember like Shark Tank? Take the deal. God's offering you the deal of the century. Take the deal. Make the trade. Trade your anxiety and worry for prayer. That's it for today with pastor and Bible teacher Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. We hope and pray that Pastor Jim's simple and passionate verse-by-verse, line-by-line teaching through the Word of God is bringing growth to your Christian faith. Now that you've heard from us, we would love to hear from you. Please let us know how we can pray for you, answer any questions you may have, and let us know how Change by Love has helped you. Perhaps you want someone to explain to you how to have your sins forgiven, how you can go to heaven, and how you can get started or restarted in your faith. Maybe you're looking for a good Bible teaching church in your area, or maybe you just need someone to talk to. Remember, friends, we are here to serve you and to help you so that someday the Lord will use you to serve and help others. That's the way the kingdom of God works, and we're thrilled to participate with you in the adventure. There are many ways to contact Pastor Jim and the team here at Change by Love. All of our contact information is on our website, www.changedbyloveradio.com. Once again, that's changedbyloveradio.com. Maybe you would like to bless us by writing us a card or a letter. Our mailing address is Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Once again, that's Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Please join us next time on this same station. Until then, stay close to Jesus, and we know that you too will be changed by His love.